Hello, friends, and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. And I created the U-Turn book and the podcast as a place to help you connect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week, I want to bring a guest on with the intention of helping you expand what's possible for you, both in your confidence, whether it's in work or love, and just in life in general. So let's get into this week's episode. You turn friends. It's Ashley here, and you know that I love bringing friends on the show, and when I do, we get so weird, and we go so deep, and today I wanted to bring Sylvie Kukasian on the show. If you don't follow her on Instagram, you're really missing out on so much content around how you can grow. She's a relationship coach. She is a therapist, she's a writer, and she has a journal out on Amazon called 12 Months of Self-Discovery, a nature-inspired journal to help deepen your self-awareness. Such a cool way for you to work on yourself, especially as we go into a new year. I was reading some data that indicates that our New Year's resolutions um, mostly are dead by February 1. So what can we do this year um, better than a journal for self-discovery? And today we're going to talk about friendship. And I know you guys have heard me. um, Actually, I feel like it's 2022. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say you guys, you all, you legends. I know you legends have heard me talk about, um, you know, friendship and how to create community. Um, I had Drew Pirouette on the show talking about it. I had Amanda Bucci on the show talking about it. And I feel like Sylvia and I have such an amazing relationship and so much to talk about. Um, when it comes to boundaries and attachment styles and creating connection that can really last and feel so much more than just a connection, an actual relationship you're investing in that matters and means something in your life. So I'm rambling without further ado. Hi, Sylvie. Thank you for being here. Hi, lovely Ashley. It's such a pleasure to do this with my friend. (laughs) So what is it now that you've had the pandemic, you've moved you've gotten married, you're going through so many different things. And more than ever, I've heard you talk about community and how important it is for you. Mm -hmm. Um, What is it about this topic of friendship? And we'll get into attachment later too. That has been so alive for you. Mm. You know, I have always valued friendship as much as romantic relationship. I think that they are, um, you know, the two wings of a bird rather than focusing all of our um, energy on romantic relationship. I think our friendships bring us so much depth, so much intimacy. They reflect parts of ourselves that are just so important to get to know who we are and to be able to just to connect and bond with people that we are, that we're drawn to. And I think for me, you know, moving from LA to Austin really, really highlighted, um, oh my gosh, I have to do this all over again. I have to look and search for new friends. How do I do that? Do I have the skills? So it brought up a lot of insecurities for me. And also, you know, it highlighted the transitional different stages that I was in with my friendships. You know, I have a lot of close friends that were having babies and they were in a different stage and I'm moving and I'm in a different stage. And so navigating the different like the attachment pieces, I tend to be more anxiously wired. So I I can be really afraid when connection is being pulled away or even if it's just a perception that connection is not there in the same way that it used to be. So I've really had to just navigate expressing my needs, expressing how I want to, um, you know, move forward in my relationships and what I, what is really important to me values wise. 
So it has been a thing, Ashley. I know you and I talk about this a lot. I have spent the last few years with my own therapist really understanding what it is that I want and how can I also support other people to create meaningful friendships that are just as valuable as intimate and romantic relationships. I'm curious, you know, I know you're also a friendship. You're you're an amazing friendship. What's the word? Connoisseur? Does that work? You're just so amazing at you know, choosing beautiful friends, but also you're, you're such an investor in friendships. Thank you. What do you think? I mean, first of all, I love when you give me these compliments because it means so much to me and like having relationships that are meaningful are huge. I also think that unless you clean up your psychology, you're kind of driving with a messy windshield and it's hard to kind of be who you want to be with people when maybe you have different traumas or influences in your upbringing that impact how you show up in connection. So there's so many different archetypes that come to mind for me. There's like someone who's a chameleon, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're moving. So how many people move during the pandemic and they let themselves become a chameleon where they get absorbed by their environment. There's the people pleaser who maybe learned that's how they keep the peace in their household. Um, You know, I don't know. I'm I'm curious, what's your take Mm -hmm. on our upbringing, our psychology. I know you studied as a therapist, you worked as a therapist, and now you're more in the coaching side of things. Um, but from a therapeutic standpoint, what do you think is happening um, that is keeping people from forming connections? Because I think a lot of us are being someone that we're not, and it's really tough to form relationships on a ground that isn't really you. Hey, U-Turners, this episode is sponsored in part by our friends over at Organifi. My absolute favorite product has got to be their chocolate and their vanilla protein powder. Due to my diagnosis of Lyme disease, I'm really careful with what I put in my body on an ongoing basis, and I smiled from ear to ear when my doctor read the ingredients on the back of their powder and gave it a thumbs up. They're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, vegan, almost no sugar. It's, it's kind of perplexing that it actually is something at all. Their chocolate protein powder I love to put with nut milk, cashew butter, and frozen blueberries, while their vanilla is so good with peanut butter, frozen strawberries, and nut milk. This smoothie is my fix when I'm hungry anytime or when I just have a sweet tooth. Just so good. I mean, here's the thing. It's tempting to turn to that second or third cup of coffee, but the truth of the matter is that caffeine can only do so much. At some point, we need to look at the root cause of our fatigue, and it turns out the two main factors in low energy are chronic stress and lack of nutrition. Organifi's clean, organic superfood blends address these problems with adaptogenic herbs and mushrooms to help you balance your cortisol levels associated with stress, and they make it easier with one scoop of protein powder to add so many more nutrients into your day. If you'd like to grab yourself some protein powder or really any of their incredible products, just head on over to Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash Y-O-U. T-U-R-N, and make sure you use the code U-Turn at checkout for 20% off. I love that you brought the archetypes um, that we develop in our childhood. I think that's such a valuable and important piece. Our family of origin, right? Our attachment framework, how we bonded with our primary caregiver, how we related to our siblings, and anyone else that was an important person in our family of origin plays such a huge role in developing our relational lens, whether that's romantic relationship or friendship. So like you said, if I'm somebody that, 
you know, grew up in a family system where my parents were always fighting and maybe I had to really mute my needs. I had to mute my boundaries so that I don't shake the system any more than it's already, you know, shooken up. And so now I'm trying to pursue friendships with that same lens. So I have one, I'm, I'm going to, like you said, I might want to please, I might want to just stay quiet and I'm not really able to be my authentic self, mm-hmm. which not only prevents me from, um, really assessing if a friendship is going to be a good fit, I'll never really know because I'm not, I'm not speaking up. Right. Right. So I like to use both the family of origin dynamics, which is the includes parents and siblings as well. Mm -hmm. But I also love using the attachment framework. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd love to go into that a little bit to help people understand. So I'm wondering if I should give just a little bit of an explanation of how they form. Yeah. I would love that. Okay. So with the attachment framework, essentially, it's looking at how our primary attachment to our caregiver, the one person who is responsible for emotionally regulating us, tuning into us, making sure our needs were met, and seeing how that dynamic gets replicated in our adult relationships. Mm -hmm. So if we had a really secure attachment with a, a caregiver, that means that our caregiver was really present most of the time. They made repairs really quickly. They responded to our needs in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. If I cried, they turned towards me. They knew how to soothe me. If I had a more anxious attachment, that means that my caregiver was present some of the time, but other times they weren't. And this could be for so many reasons. Again, this isn't about blaming caregivers. You know, sometimes there's no possible way that a, you know, a caregiver has the right environment to be set up to really win in this way. So we want to be mindful. This isn't blaming moms or, or dads or uncles, whoever was the primary caregiver. Um, you know, that anxious attachment can develop. Let's say that, you know, a parent had to go to work part of the time and they just were not really there. And so the, the child had to be left with someone who wasn't really tuning into them well. Um, so they can develop this anxiety of almost not knowing, is this person going to show up for me? Is this caregiver going to show up for me? So they really come out of their own body. They really start seeking externally for just assessing, is there going to be abandonment happening, whether it's mm-hmm. emotional abandonment or physical abandonment. Mm-hmm. And then there's the dismissive avoidant type, which is, you know, caregivers that are not really emotionally present much at all. Mm-hmm. So they really um, either criticize emotional expression in the home and they value achievement. Um, they value, you know, grade, you know, getting a, an A in a grade or, you know, doing well in school. And these kids can really grow up really uh, becoming self-sufficient, but they, they lack those emotional skills. So they take care of themselves emotionally. And they have a hard time relying on others and being open and vulnerable in relationships. Mm. And then lastly, there's the fearful avoidant type, which is, um, you know, people that grow up in more abusive or chaotic home environments where there was a sense of warmth with their caregiver, but they were also terrified of them at the same time. So they have like this almost like push pull. I want to get close to you, but as soon as they do, I want to run away because I'm terrified. And I see this happening when people are relating to their friends, right? Yeah. And so, you know, somebody that is more anxious, as soon as their, you know, their friend might be busy with something, or maybe their facial expression looks cold in a moment, and they are they they can have a rush of feeling emotional abandonment. Mm-hmm. And what's helpful about it, Ashley, is that we know we can know what's happening inside of us when we have this awareness of this template and we can do things differently. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I can like, I could look at your face right now and think, Oh my gosh, Ashley is not interested in what I'm saying at all whatsoever. <laughs> I feel so rejected. Mm-hmm. If I have that awareness that that's part of my system, mm-hmm. I'm going to be more mindful of how I communicate to you. I'm going to take more responsibility of that. Like, Hey, Ashley, I noticed when I was sharing 
you know, you look like your eyes glazed over and you just, you know, you left, you left, is, is everything okay? Yeah. I know I'm really sensitive to that. So mm-hmm. you might, you might be fine. I might be able to just be like, that was my resting bitch face, Sylvie. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so you bring up an interesting point around nest energy. Um, I interviewed a uh, an, an amazing woman. I think it was like episode 76. She talks about like, why do I know these episode numbers? But she talks mm-hmm. about nest energy and how we have these energies that we grow up in. They become our comfort zone. And I thought it was really interesting because the way you were referencing um, attachment and psychology was looking at the option that if something is really frantic, you're going to um, operate, your coping is going to be to contort yourself potentially around that dynamic to accommodate. But I also think that there's people that are kind of running towards being like their parents or running from being like their parents, right? Mm-hmm. So the runaway from could look like um, I'm going to become very accommodating because these people are really intense and this is going to not rock the boat. But then there's also the people who become just like their parents. Um, so what do you think is going on from a psychological standpoint where we either emulate them or go opposite from them? And obviously, if freedom is a core value for anyone listening, mm-hmm. you know, running to or from them means they're still controlling you in some way or you're still being controlled by it in some way. So how can people start to get freedom from that phenomenon that can happen on a, in their psychology? Mm, great question. You know, I think we're a combination of who we are and our natural temperament. There's, you know, every child is born with a unique temperament within themselves, whether they have a quiet demeanor, more, you know, intense demeanor, more fiery. And we also take on the 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 ways of being that we literally witnessed over and over in our family system. So I think we're like a concoction of many things, mm-hmm. which is also why when we choose partners and friends, we tend to choose people that are familiar because we know how to be with those people, even if they're hard. Mm-hmm. Even if like, you know how they say, um, just because you have a high tolerance for uh, a certain behavior doesn't mean you should accept that behavior, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the best piece is, is gaining that self-awareness, you know, expanding your awareness, almost like it as a, in a meditative way, because if we judge it, if we make it wrong, if we make it bad, you know, it just holds, like you said, more power over us. And um, we start practicing the opposite behavior of what it is that we want. And I love that you brought core values because that's a big piece of when I work with my clients, especially who are wanting to shift behaviors. What are your core values, right? If you grew up in a chaotic home mm-hmm. where there was a lot of um, maybe not necessarily abuse, but conflict that was never repaired well, that was very blamey, very critical. So what are your relational values, right? Mm-hmm. So there's personal values, like you said, freedom, which is great. And then what are your relationship values, mm-hmm. which is like, what, what are some like generosity, mm-hmm. um, willingness to, you know, be humble, humble mm-hmm. and humility are like two really big ones that I talk about with, with, with clients that are wanting to develop healthier relationship skills, um, <clears throat> being able to validate different perspectives, mm-hmm. right? Um, being honest and vulnerable. Maybe you grew up in a ho- home where you were punished for being vulnerable or like you were looked at as weak, which I know so many men struggle with this, mm-hmm. you know, paradox. Like we want men to be vulnerable in friendships. And we also, you know, there's still a culture that has all these conditioning that that literally punishes for that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So your your question is very complex. And I think the answer is very complex. There's yeah. so many layers within it that, can benefit from being looked at and yeah. really identifying what are the values like you, Ashley, like 
what would you say are like your top two relational values and friendships? Mm, I would say like a mutual value of friendship as a whole. Mm. Like there's a couple women, you know, my group in LA and there's a couple women and I feel like I sound like this egomaniac even communicating that I'm the one who sees who is like the rotten apple or whatever, but they weren't, they were good women and they didn't value friendship. Like most of us in the group did. So when they were brought into the group, everybody's really welcoming. Everybody's really warm. But what I was seeing was like, this person values some other things more mm. than this. And that is going to translate as if someone in this group sends a vulnerable message to this person, they're not going to get back to you for three days because they're running mm. their thing. And, and that's important to them, which is great. But um, my connections, my closest friendships are people who are available for the relationship and the connection. Mm. And and I talk to you about this a lot, right? Like what's a connection? It's just like a earth shattering sometimes understanding that you have with someone. And I think the mistake that people make is that they overvalue connection. And so mm. they'll do things for people they connect to versus really weighing a relationship, something where two people are mutually investing. And so instead of looking at a beautiful castle and saying like, look at this connection, they're building something together and mm. there's a different type of love, understanding, friendship and bond mm. that can be built through that. And so I think in my friendships, I look for women who value friendship and what that means for me is that they're responsive. It's not like I'm going to send them like me coming undone on a text message stream. I mean, maybe, but probably not. Mm -hmm. But feeling like if I send them a message, I'm going to hear back. And that sounds really silly to even say that in a friendship context, because I know in dating, people ghost each other all the time, which I mean, I love ghosting. I love when people just like, let me know that this is not it. Mm -hmm. But I feel like in friendship, um, it's such a standard for me to feel like if I talk to you, I'm going to I remember one time I didn't respond to you and you disappeared earlier in, in our friendship. And I remember saying, oh, no, 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 no. If I don't respond, something happened, like follow up with me mm. and having that secure attachment with you and you knowing that that's the kind of person I am with you um, really means a lot to me. So mm. what about you? That's so beautifully said. And I and that is something that you and I, I think we have very similar values on and we both respond to each other. I think that's, you know, we live in an era where there's so much noise and content and yeah. you can be on social media and have all these friends on social media that I, I would never go as far as to say they're not real. Of course they're real. You know, yeah. people meet on social media and those are real connections, but there's different tiers of relationships. And I think you know, not everyone is looking for the same thing in the same relationship. And I think knowing who matches what you match with in your close friend tier is very well valuable. I'm right there with you. I think responsiveness is huge for me. Yeah. And some really people it's huge. not like some yeah. people it's like we can be the best of friends and I'll hear back from her next week. Yeah. For me, I don't have any friends that I'm not going to hear back from. I have acquaintances that I'm fine not hearing back from, but really close friends. I, I, I feel supported. I feel like they're there. You talked a little bit before we hit the record button around tiers of friendship. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm curious how that has played a role in you mm. um, perhaps cultivating better relationships. And for everyone listening, maybe they're struggling with certain friendships, um, how this could perhaps apply for them. Do you want to get your daily dose of greens, but not feel like you're eating dirt? <laughs> this episode is sponsored in part by our dear friends over at Athletic Greens. And what I love about their greens powder is that they're not only carbon neutral, 
but they taste incredible. I started taking Athletic Greens because I really wanted to get all the nutrients and all the vitamins that I could in one swoop, and I just couldn't bring myself to keep drinking those celery, veggie, juice, smoothie things. I just wanted something that tasted good and was good for me, and their greens are tropical, tasty, and yes, their travel packs are perfect for road trips and getaways. So you never really have to miss out. I've been on Athletic Greens for the past year and I just can't seem to live without it anymore. I've passed it on to a couple of friends and now it's become a staple for all of us. I actually look forward to taking my greens every morning. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of nutrients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, focus, and your anti-aging, all the things. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. I actually even put it in a smoothie sometimes. To make it easy, head on over to athleticgreens.com slash U-turn, and you're going to get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head to athleticgreens.com slash U-turn to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I will tell you that understanding the the different layers that and tiers that friendships can exist within has been mind-blowing for me. Like yeah. so helpful as a more anxious person who it's hard for me to like, if someone is not showing up in a way that is, you know, like it's just not showing up in the way that I want. Let's just be real. It can be really hard for me to understand, like, are they, do they want connection? Do they, are they interested? Like it's difficult. And so there's, there's five different realms that I like, really there's four, but there's a, a fifth one that's been added in as a bonus, you know, acquaintances. These are people who are in your life. You have minimal engagement with you share things on a more superficial and, you know, superficial style. Um, you know, this can be extended, extended family. It can be, um, you know, people in your work environment that are on the far end. And then there's casual friends. These are people you have shared interests with or hobbies with. Maybe you meet them at the gym to do racquetball and you have fun banter and then you go home and there's no other expectation to go deep or to have anything else. Um, then there's collegial work friends. And these are people that you become friends with based on work um, themes or tasks, you know, you can still have a friendship, but outside of the work environment, maybe grabbing a drink here and there, there again, there isn't really that intense depth. And then there's close friends. And these are people that you have a deep connection with. Like you said, there's that reciprocity of, of, of connection. There's mutual effort and mutual desire to maintain that connection. So it's not one person, you know, putting in more effort than the other. There's a nice balance there. Um, I, I do like the soul friend, kindred spirit realm of friendship, because I think that's even more of a, like a deeper, maybe even spiritual, um, just really soulful connection with someone, but close friends and soul friends really do kind of, you know, feel like they can be bunched in the same, uh, structural realm. And one of the things I struggled with Ashley the last few years is like, I would reach out to someone to try to connect with them, you know, in a more deep connected way. And then maybe they would respond with more work-related stuff. 
And I would notice I would get really frustrated. I was like, ah, yeah. I want the friendship to be in this realm. Like this yeah. is not, I mean, I'm cool talking about work stuff. But yeah. What I'm craving in my life and my friends is more depth. Right. To share one of my core values is vulnerability. Yeah. So without that, and I'm not trying to be vulnerable with a million people here, but like yeah. with my circle of friends, um, that's important to me. And so I noticed this happening. And I, and I remember I, I, what I, it's happened a couple of times with different people. And what I would say was, you know, I love that we're sharing works related things, um, but I would love an, an emotional check-in. Let's do like an emotional check-in. Oh my God. I love you so much for that. <laughs> I love that. Like, let's do the sandwich method. Like, love this. Yeah. Now let's be friends. Love that. Yes. That's great. And it was, it was also like my way of assessing, right? Yeah. Sometimes people bond through work. And bond through activities. In fact, people that have more avoidant tendencies would way rather prefer um, connecting over a shared hobby and being shoulder to shoulder and being vulnerable that way than just being really direct and um, face to face about things. So there's a, there was a lot of things in my mind when I, whenever I asked this kind of question. And, you know, it was very clear that, you know, we tried doing that a few times, but it felt like it wasn't happening naturally from the other end. So I got it. This person was trying to relate to me from more of a collegial place. Right. It doesn't mean I cut the person off. It doesn't mean I end the relationship. But what it did do was it helped me be more assertive about what I want. Right. And seeing the response helped me to manage my expectations and see where the relationship fit. Does that mean that that can't change, Ashley? No. Maybe yeah. in a couple of years, that relationship can develop from a work relationship to a close relationship. Right. You don't just become close friends overnight. But I do think there's something really powerful about knowing where people stand with you mm -hmm. and finding a way to accept this so that especially for us more anxious folk, yeah. um, it can be extremely helpful. Do you experience that? Do you have a process with that with different yeah. tiers in your life? I really love what you said. And I was thinking business friends. And I think there's a lot of that in our community in LA. It's like um, everyone is in a similar business and it can a dinner can turn into a business mastermind pretty quick. And I'm game to be supportive always. Um, but what I learned is that there's an underlying value in that, right? And I think a lot of people, as it relates to your five different archetypes, probably lean more heavily towards wanting one type, maybe based on where they're at in their life or who they are as a person. Mm. I have a couple of friends who are very identified with their work and there's nothing wrong with that. And we all know I'm not that identified with my work. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you're like, I'm yeah. not either. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, you and I are very similar in that way. Yeah, exactly. So I enjoy what I do. I'm not what I do. And um, I have some friends who love what they do for their work to the point where um, they only want, they lean towards friendships most of the time that have some sort of business exchange as well. And I've learned that they feel safe within that, right? Like that's a safe space for them. For me, I don't feel safe within that. If I feel like, is the person trying to be friends with me? Or are they trying to like do a transaction? Like I, I need to know what it is. And I think that this comes down to your attachment styles that you talk about. So um, what are some indicators that people can reflect on as it relates to these archetypes, these experiences that they're having, um, that you think would help them kind of self-discover, like, how is their attachment style, maybe an opportunity for them to grow mm -hmm. versus projecting onto their friendships, or how is their attachment style showing up as, um, feedback, inner feedback that they have a need that they're not giving themselves. You know, because sometimes it's like the anxiety is just a messenger, right? And it's like, yes. this is just not a good friend for you. 
Totally. And I think it's important to, you know, even while we have the relation relationship attachment lens happening, there's still a lot of information that's happening in the present moment that we don't want to ignore. Like you said, what if there is this is a signal telling me that this isn't a good fit, that my needs are not going to be met. And so for the more anxious people, you know, they really value closeness and connection because they've had that template as well as people that are more secure. People yeah. that are more secure, they have a balanced sense of relating. They they know how to lean in. They know how to be responsive. They're very expressive about their needs and also very um, honoring of the needs of who they're in friendships with. And they also know how to pull out when they're, they're not experiencing reciprocal connection. People that are more anxious, what I've noticed is they can get really stuck because they're used to this almost... Um, distance, distant caregiver that is there sometimes is not there. Sometimes maybe they can get used to a friendship that is very breadcrumbing in their approach or is very one directional in their engagement with them. You have the anxious person that is giving, 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 but they're not really aware of expressing their needs directly. Like, Hey, this is the amount of quality time that would be so amazing and, and helpful for me, for my nervous system. Are you down for this? And, you know, if they're not necessarily down for the same frequency, are they willing to collaborate? Are they willing to work with you? Like I have some friends who have shared that they have avoidant tendencies. We're both very honest about where we stand. And we also are all willing to like find a middle ground. I think where it gets tricky is when someone is anxious and they're not willing to be aware of their, for example, their, their struggle to be direct. They can be very blamey and critical when they feel rejected. Mm -hmm. And so they have to be really careful in the way they express these needs so that people don't feel blamed by them. Mm -hmm. um, and they need consistency. Consistency and reliability are two really big ones from my experience of working with clients over the last 13, 14 years um, in their friendships. When they have anxious attachment, correct? Yes, when they have anxious attachment, exactly. For more dismissive avoidant, you know, because they're so self-sufficient, you know, maybe they, again, they focus a lot on work or their hobbies um, and they, they still need friendships and value their friendships. They might just be a little bit more detached in their approach and really need to build their tolerance for intimacy. So really pushing themselves to be vulnerable and to be honest, you know, a recent study by Snap Inc. Um, polled 10,000 people from 13 to 75 in nine different countries and found out that honesty was the number one quality that is needed in a connected friendship experience. Mm. So people, go ahead. Well, I mean, I think that that's so interesting because like most people struggle to be honest with themselves. So it's like, yes. how are you going to be honest with someone if you're not being honest with yourself? So I guess that kind of takes me into... Um, so many different questions too, but um, keep telling me a little bit more about the dismissive. And then I want to ask you yeah. about that, because I think that how do you form friendships if you haven't really self-discovered in any way? Because who, who are you? Like, what is this? Like, I don't know, like if, if Mr. M Potato Head was like you, what are all the little parts you're putting on your Mr. or Mrs. Potato Head and offering people? And is that really you? And, or are you just building a whole network based on someone you're not? And maybe that's why you're exhausted and you don't realize it. So curious about the dismissive person. You said honesty. Um, yes. What What are some other medicines for the dismissive person in connection with people? So that's that's a big one. The, yeah. the practicing with vulnerability and um, with honesty, because that is something that, again, they keep their emotional stuff inside. 
And they can also struggle, like exactly what you said, they can struggle to even know what they're feeling or thinking a lot of the time. So how do we, you know, how do we show up to, you know, I think working with a therapist, someone that can ask you questions to help you start to develop a self-awareness, journals, workbooks, things that can, you know, prompts that can help you um, start to get curious about your inner world can be really, really powerful. Um, and they, what they need in friendships is so curious people, warm people that, you know, really don't judge them when they do share is going to be really healing medicine for them in relationship. And also people that approach them in non-shaming and controlling ways. Again, they've already been shamed for having emotions during their childhood experience. So the last thing they need is in a friendship is for someone to say, you know, you're not showing up or da, 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 you know, let them know, hey, I love you. I want to connect more deeply with you. I know you're trying your best, um, but I would love like give them something, give them clear information that would help them win with you, you know, rather than just sharing the things that you're frustrated with them about because they, you know, that's that's not really going to get them anywhere. Tell them what you actually need. Mm -hmm. How many times you want to see them? Do you want them to be more expressive with you? You know, words of praise. What do you need to feel closer to them? And maybe it is you want them to share more of themselves. And then for fearful uh, avoidant types, what can be really helpful is um, because they have so many fears around being betrayed in friendships and relationships in general, they have that lens, right? I was abused. I was used transactionally. You used that word really brilliantly. I was a tool for other people. I had to shut down all of my needs to tend to everyone else. I had to be invisible. So really honoring that they want to be seen deeply for who they are and their qualities, not just what they do not like the actions they take. And also they need to go at a slower pace oftentimes. Like mm -hmm. you can't rush them in the beginning because they have this instinct to pull away when things get too deep. Mm -hmm. So giving them some space just in the beginning to, to warm up to you. And then once you have access to them, there's often a beautiful, soft, mushy person in there that's dying to come out. And um, we all need to be approached differently. You know, we have different backgrounds. It's important to honor those things and to get to know what those things are. Mm. I also think that there's different behaviors just based on what you're sharing um, rooted in different trauma, like from your upbringing that will kind of drive the car of your friendships unless you take a moment to look at what those are. How would what would be your feedback around the role that trauma plays in our connections, our friendships? Um, and, and how can we start to use our friendships to up our game in looking at that and growing past that? Mm. So you mean trauma in general? Like yeah, yeah. Like my, experience. you know, my dad was really busy working all the time, and so that probably made me needier in friendships, right? Like feeling this like sense of the desert needing rain inside of me. So I don't know, like what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What different um, traumas would you see um, in friendships, or how can somebody know when they're relating to someone like, oh, this is my trauma showing up that I need to work on versus? I need this, this thing from this other person. Totally. And I think, you know, you're asking a really important question and I think they're both very important. They both exist and should be, in my opinion, prioritized simultaneously, right? So if I have traumas, hopefully I'm working, you know, with a professional, a therapist on unpacking that myself and every single human is going to have a handful, two, three core vulnerabilities that are going to move with them. Yeah. Probably forever. Yeah. So I think there, you know, I work with so many clients. Whenever I say this one piece, they're like, what do you mean? I don't have to completely remove my trauma and my my thing. And I'm like, 
of course we want you to work on it. Of course, you know, if there's something that's like preventing you from living your life that, you know, if, when trauma is really severe, we avoid situations, we can develop really intense anxiety. Yes, absolutely. We want to work on it. And the relationship can also be a very valuable piece to help um, be part of that healing journey. So I know that about you, Ashley. I know that you feeling like a priority and, you know, responsiveness is important to you. That, that So that's something I'm sensitive about. Yeah. And people we choose to be in relationships in order to create, in order for it to become a healing space, we have to be mindful of what our vulnerabilities are, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a big one for me too. If I feel like I'm not responded to, like within days and days, I get a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. so my close friends are very responsive people. Yeah. That's just part of the deal. I've done 10 years of therapy, but I'll tell you, Ashley, I still am very sensitive about that. Well, I love what you're pointing out because I think that there's sometimes a fine line between who you are and traumatic and your trauma, right? And it could be both, right? Like you can have some trauma around feeling like somebody's there for you and who you are is somebody that wants those sorts of connections. It doesn't have to mean that you're acting out of these traumatic experiences. I also love what you share around um, like choosing friends that can accommodate that because what I'm really hearing you say is that they're earning your secure attachment. Yes. That by looking at these traumas, by knowing that you have these soft spots, they're able to not codependently tiptoe around them, but mm -hmm. deliver on them. And I think there's a difference, right? Like some people are going to want to earn secure attachment with somebody, but for them, that's going to look like having to tiptoe around because it's not their natural state to provide that thing. Yes. And that usually is just a feedback mechanism that maybe that's not a good connection for you versus I know Sylvie has a soft spot around responsiveness and I am happy to respond. It is not hard for me to be that way. No problem. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it, it's, it's a really amazing thing what can happen when you can earn someone's secure attachment. Um, and, and I want to ask you about that because I know that there's a lot of research around secure attachment in romantic relationships. Yes. Um, and those of you who are curious about that, I think we had Nora DeKaiser on the podcast. I don't even remember what episode, but it's been a minute. We talk about attachment in that one, but what would be, um, some some sharing we can give everyone around the benefits of choosing um, or creating these securely attached relationships. I think you said the key word, key phrase, choosing or creating, because they're both available. Yes. Some people are like you and I, we just naturally understand each other's sensitivities. It doesn't take much work for us. Like we just right. get it very, because we also share the same sensitivities, I think. So we can, we just know how to flow with each other. With other friends, you might really have that closeness, but you might have to work a little bit harder to find a middle ground. So let's say there's someone that has more anxious attachment tendencies and someone that has more avoidant tendencies, but they both want to work on those things. So they create agreements in the relationship. This is what I need that's important to me. This is what you need. How can we collaboratively create this? And do we want to collaboratively, collaboratively create this? Because mm -hmm. some people don't, like you said, if there is someone that's really avoidant and they don't really want to work on that part of themselves, they don't want to develop their self-awareness and you really value vulnerability and transparency and this person is not making any effort to cultivate that, you're going to suffer yeah, a lot 
But if you're with someone that's like, well, you know, I really admire your vulnerability. That's actually why I chose you as a friend. And I want to learn from you. You know, thank you for being patient with me. I know sometimes it's hard for me to share, but I really want to. And I'm actually, you know, working on that. So there's often, you know, we don't just choose people for no reason. We choose people oftentimes because, well, we can choose them because we're recreating painful patterns. Or sometimes we choose them because we really admire them right. and respect them. And they have a quality that just is something that we haven't really developed in ourselves. And so I think really creating agreements in the relationship is so important. You know, I really want to empower people the same way that we, you know, we're encouraged to speak up and, and set boundaries and set needs in our romantic relationships. I really want to encourage you to practice the same. Mm -hmm. I had a conversation with my friend Vasavi yesterday and we, we giggle and laugh about it. And she's, I'm like a year from now, we're going to talk about how we created secure attachment with each other yeah. because we literally care so much about developing the skill and offering the safety for one another. Right. Okay. So that actually touches right on what I wanted to ask you about, which I know you're such a queen with is boundaries. Mm. Um, okay. So let's say that somebody is working on their attachment style, whether it's in their romantic relationship, which can be such a amazing vehicle for that. Um, but let's say in a personal relationship, friendship, they're still working on their boundaries. I know for me, I can communicate them with you. You can communicate them with me. I have a lot of friends that I can do this with, but I also know a lot of people are really terrified to set a boundary, have a boundary, be a human, you know, and everybody starts somewhere and stops somewhere. So boundaries are quite a natural loving thing, but I know that they're not easy um, for everyone. So um, what can we share here around boundaries? Because I know that everyone has them and they can be really hard to communicate in mm -hmm. friendship. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I think when when we've been in a friendship for a, a long while and then we start to recognize certain boundaries that we might not have communicated, I think this is where I've noticed it can get really tricky because it can literally sh shift and potentially change the dynamic of a friendship relationship. So, you know, boundaries are just so essential. I think that's where taking that time to really get to know our our family of origin experience, our attachment pattern is so valuable so that we can understand what are our boundary vulnerabilities. I think we talked about this on our last podcast a little bit too that we did together. You know, some of us are more sensitive to physical boundaries. Maybe we were just not, you know, people in our family system weren't sensitive with like touching us, not in necessarily in a sexual way, but just they weren't sensitive to our touch boundaries. They were right. good with asking permission when we were little. And we just have this icky feeling when people or tickle us. trauma, like ah. tickled to the point of yes. crying. Yes. It's horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. So you might be sensitive about that. Maybe that's so that's good to know. Right. That's probably something for me to be aware of. Some people are sensitive to more emotional boundaries. Maybe they were made fun of a lot. Maybe they were uh, triangulated by like parents that were divorcing and parents were venting. So they had to carry all this deep emotional information that they weren't supposed to hold. So when they're in a friendship, an example of a boundary of that might be like, I'm not comfortable with you sharing to me about our other friend, because that just makes me feel like I'm back in my childhood again. Mm -hmm. I'm totally okay with you sharing factual data, like things that happened, but not, I don't want any like, and you wouldn't use the word gossiping, but no. I would rather you, if something, if you're struggling with them to take that to them, uh -huh. that might be a, a boundary that's sensitive for that person. Right. So it's really getting to know, you know, your physical boundaries, your emotional boundaries, your intellectual boundaries is another one that we talked mm -hmm. about on our last podcast, which is where you're 
was your like opinions and um, intellectual experience invalidated? Did you have to conform to the beliefs of a dominant parent, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you were gaslit. Maybe your your experience was like, you know what? Dad is drunk on the couch, but your you know your other parent is saying that didn't happen. So you're confused. Your reality is conf- confused. And when you're in an adult relationship, maybe a boundary is something as simple as, you know, when I share something that's real for me. I really need that to be validated. Even if you have a different experience, I'm totally here to validate that. But I need to feel like my experience is valid. Right. So taking some time to really explore where your boundary sensitivities are can be so valuable. And it's so good to practice them in the beginning of a friendship. Mm. Test it out to see how somehow responsive someone is. And it doesn't mean they can't feel you know, rejected or like, oh, did I do something wrong? It's normal to have a reaction to boundaries sometimes. That's right. Part of it, right. Well, and I love what you're sharing too around boundaries because it's a matter of communication, right? And you t- you yes. said the word expectations earlier, and I feel like there's such a fine line between expectations and agreements. And mm-hmm. this whole concept comes from Steve Chandler's work um, and all of his books around like expectations put you in a victim-like role sometimes because it's a secret. The other person doesn't know and you're projecting it onto them and then they let you down and they didn't know. And there's this whole party going on in your head that they never got invited to. And now you're disappointed or there's agreements where, I mean, if nobody likes to break their own agreements. So if you say to somebody, can you agree to give me this on Monday at five versus expecting it by Monday at five, it's a completely different relationship. So I think the way you're communicating around boundaries um, is so good and people struggle to communicate. Um, What are some of the uh, factors that you have identified are blocking people from communicating these boundaries because I know a lot of people are going to have them identify them but sometimes I think awareness without action is like super toxic you know it's just like I feel like there's too many people spiritually bypassing their growth where they're like I'm so aware of this and I'm like what are you doing about it so do tell (laughs) I love I want to just first acknowledge like how valuable what you just said was the agreement creating an agreement within an expectation or desire that you have is so good. That's, that's literally what secure attachment is about. Mm. Creating agreements to protect your relationship and to protect yourself from yourself and each other. Right. Mm -hmm. So I I love that so deeply. Um, And your question about like, what are some of the fears? So many, and gosh, I worked with so many people that struggle with boundaries and I've, I've been doing this work for 10 plus years and I still struggle with boundaries. I still get nervous. I get butterflies in my stomach. I'm like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, is this person going to, you know, reject me? Are they going to not want to be friends with me anymore? Like all those stories still go in my head, but it does get easier with practice. You know, one of the things I've been working on with my therapist more recently, as as a more introverted person, I tend to need a lot of solo processing time. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually communicating that with my friends earlier on my capacity boundaries. So I'll say something like, you know, I love hanging out with you. And I, I think for me, just like having a connection in smaller doses in the beginning stage so that I can have that time to process and integrate is so like helpful for me. And then I always ask them, you know, is there anything that's helpful for you? Sometimes just that gesture of like having a boundary, but then turning the table back on them and asking someone else, like, you know, is there a boundary that's important for me to honor for you so that it just kind of makes it less, it diffuses it being so much about us. Mm. And also tolerating and knowing like, 
what are your core fears? Like, are you afraid of being rejected? Are you afraid of being shamed? Are you afraid of being criticized? If you grow up in a chaotic or abusive environment, then it's understandable to just go into a freeze state. And so mm-hmm. you're literally trying to like re- un unreveal, I don't know if that's a word, de-reveal, unreveal all this energy that's been really stuck in your body and start small. If you're new to boundaries, you know, maybe practice with less risky people. Practice when you're ordering dinner, just, you know, something simple to help you uh, get in touch with those boundaries and, Mm -hmm. and really pay attention to how people respond. If you're being kind, if you're being respectful, if you're still being considerate of the other person, right? I think sometimes when we're new to boundaries, we just like, I have a boundary and this is what I need. And mm-hmm. we can be really like not relational about right. it. Right. This is a good point because you have to start somewhere. And sometimes people who start with their boundaries, it's like Fort Knox and it's like coming yes. in hot. It's and it's not a very well delivered boundary, but at least they're starting and they're trying, right? And you can apologize and you should apologize if you yeah. are really harsh and maybe, you know, just really intense, you know, own it. Like, oh, wow, I'm new to boundaries. Have a conversation before you have boundaries about your boundaries. Like, I'm practicing boundaries. Why don't we practice together? Let's, you know, let's support each other with this. Are you comfortable setting boundaries? Maybe I could learn from you. Like, before you wait for a heated moment to happen where you need to set a boundary, maybe just have a pre, pre-conversation to help you kind of clear that space for both of you. Right, right. Okay. And... I know that we talked a lot about um, our upbringing and how that influences our attachment, which shows up in friendship, which is just another vehicle to kind of look at yourself. But I think we all kind of come into the world with a thermostat, right? That is kind of set by our caregivers. And unless we take a look at it, we are in a default setting with it. And you touch on blaming caregivers, which I think is really relevant because, you know, I found for me when I used to host seminars, like people would be in blame and I've been there. I've done that. And it's like, well, you can blame them all you want, but it's you now. Now this is you. It's not them that did this to you. It's you. And you have this thing. Um, So what are some like growth, friendship, boundary, homework assignments that you would want to give someone who is listening to this episode and they want to get their journal cracked open or they want to buy your journal on Amazon, which I hope they do. Um, what would you suggest? So just to understand your question, Ashley, can you say for me one more time? Yeah. Any sort of, sort of like homework assignment that's more tactical that we can give someone, um, to bring them closer to themselves, um, or to help them show up better in their relationships. Got it. Beautifully said. So there's a couple routes. I think, you know, from the attachment perspective, really spending some time understanding, you know, what was your dynamic like with your caregiver? Did you feel like there was um, a lot of responsiveness, emotional connection? Do you feel like you have a secure tendencies in your friendships? Um, do you feel like you had, um, you have more of an anxious dynamic Did you with your caregiver? Do you feel like you get afraid of emotional or physical abandonment in your friendships? Um, are you sensitive to any cues of lack of presence? Um, if you have more dismissive tendencies, do you, do, you, do you sense that you're very much like an island type, which Dr. Stantakin uses that terminology where you really take care of yourself. You don't really rely on people. You don't really show up vulnerable. I think just like giving yourself some space to explore where you are. And again, this is a spectrum. You know, we can have some anxious tendencies and some avoidant tendencies and really just spending some time getting to know what those things are. Mm -hmm. And then what are the relational values that you want to prioritize moving forward? So Mm -hmm. you have, you know, both of these 
these things can happen at the same time where you explore your family of origin and attachment stuff, but you also, what are the values relationally that you want to step into? Um, do you want to be a more generous friend? Do you want to be a friend that really makes effort to repair after conflict? Do you want to be a, a friend that is better at validating different perspectives? You know, what are your woundings mm -hmm. and how would you like to um, step into different patterns that are going to help you create more secure friendships? You know, mm -hmm. do you, do you want to practice being more honest and vulnerable. So, you know, really highlighting what those relational values are mm -hmm. um, and just spending time to explore what are your core vulnerabilities in your mm -hmm. life? You know, what are the two to three things that have really walked with you? That's important information for those you're in friendship with to know about you so they can be caring and sensitive and tender about those things. And how can you explore and get curious about what those things might be in friendships mm -hmm. you're pursuing? So you can also do that, you know, back and forth. Mm. So those are a couple of the core things that come to mind. I love that. And I love your five categories of friends. I think that's so clarifying. Um, and I guess maybe I'll make up an assignment for everyone who wants more homework from me to you. Um, maybe make a dinner reservation for four people. If you're one of those pandemic people that moved and you don't have people yet that are set for you and fill the reservation with people you don't know, maybe book it four weeks from now. Mm and start picking cool people that you want to inv invite. For some reason, there's something about a reservation that holds a space and people show up for it. Like I have this reservation, so I'll <laughs> see you there. It's like, versus like, do you want to hang out? Um, so that would be my homework assignment and to keep making reservations till you feel like you've picked the people that really resonate for you. Sylvia, I love you. I'm I love you, friend. so grateful. Is there something I haven't asked you about this that I should ask you before we go? I feel like we touched on the, the juice. We touched it all. Yeah. We're just touchy, you know. Touchy. <laughs> Touch the juice. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your friendship so much Aww. and who you are. And you. everyone who um, didn't catch the name of her book, um, you can spell her last name is K-H-O-U-C-A-S-I-A-N, Sylvie Kukasian. Um, thank you again for being here, friend. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-Turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, 
and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.